Woohoo! Yay! Another Green Divas Radio Show. Here. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Green Divas Radio Show. You're on with Green Diva Meg. Green Dude Paul. Green Diva Lynn. Green Diva Gall. Hey, we're all here. Four of us. How exciting. I just want to take a minute to introduce and welcome Green Diva Gall here. She is one of our Green Divas in training. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> She's been out here all day and it's it's a little you know, it's a little boring for someone who's watching until we're getting in the studio. Like in the morning it was just like me on the computer trying to you know, right? It was a little boring. But she's such a trooper. Great experience. <laughs> we love having you here. Yay. So anyway, uh we have a great show this week prepared for you. Busy. Busy. Well we're always busy. Oh my gosh. And uh first I wanna just take a moment to thank our sponsors who make this all possible. Thank you, buygreen.com, who has you know, a wonderful e-retailer for the best green products that are rated very well and understandably so. Go to buygreen.com and uh, find stuff on sale. And then um, also Smarty Marty's Rent-A-Rec. Beep, beep. <laughs> Smarty Marty's Rent Rec and Don't Let the Name Fool You. Really cool cars that are just gently used. He's got several locations here in New Jer- northern New Jersey. But if you go to thegreendivas.com and you look in the sidebar, you'll see a banner. Click on it and then you can locate and tell them the Green Divas sent you. There we go. How about that's, that? That's and, the business. Uh, you can also go to buygreen.com through the Green Divas website. Thank you, Lynn. Even better. You always forget that part. <laughs> always forget that part. You know? Because isn't there a special discount? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, if you go to the Green Divas Marketplace, you'll see a banner for Buy Green. Go there and shop away and get the Green Divas discount. Uh, Lynn, she's on top of things. She really is. I mean, yeah, so. you know. What can I say? <laughs> oh, we've had so much fun today in the studio already. So... Just so people know, today our feature in this show will be with Jonathan Bloom, uh, who we're going to be talking to him about food waste. Yeah, and uh, he threw out some crazy stats. I feel like I was part of that conversation for some reason. I don't know. I could have dreamt it or something, but um, <laughs> because it just seems like I was there. But one third of the food produced in the world every mm. year gets lost or wasted. Even higher here in the U.S., too. Yeah. yeah. Really sad. And a large percentage of it is, you know, stuff that's thrown out in people's households, residential food. You know, right. I mean, there's there's a surprising amount of it that, that, that we throw out uh, for no good reason, which is a bummer. Mm-hmm. What else we have? We have the Queen of Green, uh, Lindsay Coulter, who works with David Suzuki. Yeah, she she's does awesome. A lot of blogging lot of for fun. him. She was great. She's so knowledgeable. Isn't she? So she talked to us today about food circle, or she's going to talk to us today about creating a food circle and what that means. And, you know, that's all about community and sharing and making sure that people in the community that may, may be in, in a time of need, you know, crisis or need, um, mm-hmm. that, 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 that yeah. we remember that Sounds we can do that. Sounds fascinating. I'm a nurturer. Food issues down to the community level. Right, exactly. I, I, my first instinct is always, well, can I cook you something? Mm, exactly. Because that's that's my thing. Um, <laughs> we have another two-minute garden segment this week, and I'm not sure what the topic is because we've already talked about 
cool seeds identifying the differences between different uh, GMO or organic or heirloom, heirloom. right, what mm-hmm. that all means. We've talked about composting, so stay tuned to find out exactly. It'll be a surprise. It'll be a mystery. surprise. <laughs> mystery <laughs> subject. Uh, then we have Rachel Zaroff. Oh, my God. This was Sarnoff. Sarnoff? <laughs> Sarnoff. Yeah. Okay, thank you. We have somebody else with Zaroff. We have Marcy. This is what's kind of confusing today. Yeah, it's funny. Maybe Didn't we should just number our guests. One show. Yeah, we got Zaroff one, <laughs> Sarnoff two. No, we have Marcy Zaroff who's talking about eco fashion and the trends and that the, some of the really good things that are happening is kind of hitting that tipping point. And she's got a company called Under the Canopy. But we have Rachel mm-hmm. Sarnoff talking about fumigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is Mommy Greenest. That's what she calls herself. She is Mommy Greenest and very interesting. So other than that, we're just psyched to have um, Gal here with us. And Lynn, you know, we're not we're not going to be doing the 360 you today. Me. I know, because we have too many cool things. Oh, I and know. Can I also mention that we did get a chance to talk to Louis, um, oh, yeah. Louis Schwartzberg? Like the amazing filmmaker. Like I really could just sit and watch his stuff all day long. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I had posted one of his um, TED, Talks? TED Talks on the Green Divas website. Well, because this week is Pollinators Week, um, I think – and we talked a lot about that with him. I think we're going to post that as well, maybe not within this show. You'll have to go to the Green Divas to find it, but we will post it. Yeah. When artist he is. Oh, yeah. He's an amazing man. So, Lynn, tell us what, you know, in a, in a couple of minutes, let's just talk about some of the stuff you were looking at today for my Earth 360. Uh, well, because we talked to Andy Revkin last week, we didn't have time to talk about the new rock that was discovered on the big island of Hawaii last week. What? Yeah. Huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> They're really? calling it. Frankenrock. Interesting. Uh, it's Plastic Glomerate. Oh. The official name. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's made from plastic household garbage fused with volcanic rocks, sea- seashells, beach sand, and corals. Oh, mm. very interesting. Isn't that lovely? That's like a so, bummer. you know, we're going to leave that behind for future humans, maybe that... You know, right, future archaeologists be like, this is how we learned what kind of idiots we had on the planet before. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, hopefully there are some green divas and dudes in Hawaii working with people there to solve the problem and keep those <laughs> exactly. beautiful beaches pristine. Exactly. And, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, and they think it, the rock was probably formed when people camping on the beach threw plastic garbage into campfires. So, Oh, interesting. This is, a meltdown. Uh, you know, we just a meltdown of brain right. activity. Yeah, meltdown. Exactly. But the good news, I don't know if you guys heard about President Obama's announcement. I've heard of him. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you've heard of him? Yeah, I have. Yeah, he's, he's kind of getting around there. Um, but he announced plans today to create what could be the world's largest marine preserves Ooh. to protect the P- Pacific Ocean environment. Nice. Well, there you go. So that yeah, offsets. It could double, it's great. It could double the area of ocean globally that's fully protected. Wow. Well, there's some good news. All right, folks. Well, we have a lot coming up on this show, so I really hope you stay tuned. And, um, yeah, stay tuned, Thanks for joining us. (laughs) The Green Divas love food. 
Organic, local, fresh, whole, delicious food. Here now is another Green Diva foodie file. Well, as always, we love to speak with Lindsay Coulter, who is David Suzuki's Queen of Green. And we're doing another foodie file segment, and I really love the concept of this one. Um, it, it, you called it Food Circle? That's correct. How to start a food circle. How to start a food circle. And I know it's common sense, and a lot of us have participated in this, but I just think it's a nice reminder there are so many people that are suffering in so many ways um, at different times that we, we can be mindful and jump in. So talk about talk about the concept. Well, this is something It's very commonsensical. People probably already um, have done something like this. Maybe you didn't know it was called a food circle, and it's not by any means a technical term. But uh, I had really deep experience with this in uh, about a year ago when I had my first son and uh, could barely move after recovering from a... a long labor and things like that, and uh, couldn't reach for a plate to make myself a a sandwich. And I had basically, because I love, I plan and organize uh, for fun, had set it up so I had a family member or friend uh, bringing food to me every every two days. And um, now this is something you can do for new parents. It's really lovely because, as you know, in those first, you know, three months can be kind of killer and you're in survival mode and yeah. you have no idea what you're doing and everyone's <laughs> telling you it's going to get easier and, and you haven't slept for, for weeks. So um, being well-fed is a really good way to sort of sustain sustain that. And your neighbor's friends, it's, it's something you could do at a baby shower, for example, whether you have one before oh, or yes. after oh, the birth of your child. Or schedule, yeah. That's oh, get a friend to set it up. If your co-workers want to do something for you, this is a really nice thing. Um, and also, it's like you say, for people who are suffering, someone in your community, in your church, at your book club, a co-worker might be going through uh, suffering from cancer, going through uh, chemo treatments, or maybe someone's just suffering from a loss and dealing with, right. you know, going through the grieving process. Right. Uh, it's something really simple you can set up. There's online applications and calendars you can set up, and basically you're just making sure that someone's getting a healthy meal. Um, these are things that can be you know, easily frozen, dropped off, and you just coordinate, you know, as one person, the leader, you coordinate to make sure the person's not getting, you know, vegetarian lasagna um, three times in one week. Yeah, right, right, right. Great concept. And it is. And I'm I'm always that person, that, like, I go nuts and I buy, like, all organic food and I really make I, – I, I love to put a lot of energy in my food, especially if I'm making it for someone who's sick or, you know, who's grieving and um, – you know, and I make it carefully and I buy all kinds of, you know, crazy ingredients and just have fun with it. Um, and, you know, I've done things for, you know, community soup kitchens and I know they don't care, but I care that it's all organic or whatever, you know. And, uh, you know, I make a vegetarian. I, said, I was doing a big soup kitchen thing and I said, just so you know, I'm going to make a vegetarian soup because I don't, I don't do meat. And they were like, great, you know, and everybody loved it, but... Uh, it's, it's really simple. It's common sense. It happened uh, for, you know, eons and centuries in our cultures that this is what you did when we lived more in villages. But now a lot of us, um, you know, don't live near any family and, and maybe have a harder time asking for help. And uh, so one of the first things before you decide, you know, this is a great idea, uh, definitely ask the the person that you would like to gift this to right. if it would be appropriate and if they would appreciate it. Um, some people 
would love to have company drop in every other day and bring the food and, you know, enjoy yeah. a healthy meal together. Other people might appreciate that. It's just a quick drop off because right. they're going to nap when the baby naps and, you know, feed right. themselves when they can. So it's good to, but you can make it your own. Um, you can coordinate it. Yeah. Like I say, through your group and it can be really simple. And it's, something ongoing. Yeah, and it's another great way to address the food waste issue, which we talked about on your last uh, visit with us. Oh, interesting. That's right. It's a creative way of uh, food sharing, and um, it sounds like you cook with love, and this is just a great way to pass that on and, and continue to build community and connections in your neighborhood. Yeah, it's like, for me, like it's, it, it brings back also the, the potluck concept of just that sharing, that bringing community around food and food being nurturing and, mm. you know. Deepening sure. the human connection. Yeah. yeah, we need more of that because, you know, I love my Facebook family and they're all mm-hmm. over the place. But, you know, I can't it's, – it's hard to share a meal on Facebook. Random acts of kindness. <laughs> That's right. It's very uh, – yeah, it's a, basically this is a how to be kind to others and well, it's sad um, that we need, in need. It's sad that we need the reminder, but I'm glad that we are talking about it because, you know, it, it does just remind me. Anyway, thanks so much again, Lindsay, as always, and um, hopefully we will talk to you again very soon. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope you're hungry. For more easy and delicious recipes and even more foodie information, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Shopping should be fun, not frightening. That's why True Goods offers a consciously curated selection of non-toxic goods. Find a variety of healthy and natural products for house and home, the kids, and even those furry family members. Also check out the True Goods blog, The Goods, for engaging articles and useful resources. True Goods makes choosing a healthier, safer, cleaner lifestyle easy. Tell truth, shop good at TrueGoods.com. Wishing you had a green thumb or want to learn more about sustainable gardening outdoors and in? Expert green divas and dude gardeners share tips for everything from composting to growing herbs in your kitchen. Listen to the Green Divas Green Thumb for low-stress gardening tips. This is Gardening in Two Minutes. When it comes to urban gardening, every inch is valuable. There's several different methods that you can take and utilize every square feet that you have available to grow in. One of them is trellising. That's right. And another one is intercropping. Intercropping is the practice of planting crops, two of them, in the same spot. We'll explain. So if you have something like potatoes that you mound up or you plant in rows, it's going to be a little while in the beginning of the summer before your potatoes start to sprout. So you can take something like radishes, which only take about a month, and put them in between the rows of the potatoes. Another option could be if you're growing Brussels sprouts, which takes a great amount of time. In the center between the rows, you could plant something like spinach, which takes about 45 to 50 days. The key to any one of these examples is you want to plant a fast-growing crop in with that main slow-growing crop. Another one can be... You can plant something like corn within your lettuce bed. Lettuce is a cool other crop, and corn takes a long time to grow. So once you're getting close to your lettuce being done, you can plant your corn, 
and that way you can share the space. Yes, you want that corn to be grown in a block area, but that would be very, very productive. Another one would be if you have a tall trellis that is in the shape of a triangle where it points to the top and you have plants growing on either side and you have a dead space in the center. Then you can put something like broccoli, cauliflower, or you can even do an herb bed in there as well. Herbs would be beneficial because they take less amount of sunlight. Another thing you might want to consider is the possibility of growing lettuce in the early portion of the season in where you're going to put your tomato plants for the same reason, the lettuce will be done about the time that tomatoes will start going in the ground. Another good idea is doing something like the three sisters method, which is kind of like an intercropping of a classic variety, a traditional variety. For more information on intercropping, our weekly video productions, as well as our free downloadable quarterly magazines, you can find all that information at thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. For Gardening in Two Minutes, I'm Joy Baird. And I'm Holly Baird. Inspired to grow more organic stuff? We are. To learn more about this Green Diva's Green Thumb episode and all kinds of other great green information, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Looking for low-stress ways to create a healthier, non-toxic environment in your home? The Green Divas make it fun and easy with useful information for making a beautiful and eco-friendly Green Diva home. Excellent. Finally got a chance to get on the horn here with Rachel Sarnoff, who is the creator of Mommy Greenest blog. I almost said mommy dearest. Isn't that funny? Uh, that's the play. <laughs> and that's not. Yeah, right, right. I, it worked. Some mommy, people get it. Some people don't. <laughs> yeah, I totally obviously got it. Mommygreenest.com. And she's also the former, and, that, and we just discussed that. I think this is where I knew her from. She's the former executive director of Healthy Child, Healthy World. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Great to talk with you. I'm so glad we're, we're finally getting a chance to catch up and, um, you know, have you on the Green Divas. And today you're going to talk about, because you can talk a lot about a lot of subjects, so we probably will have you in different segment categories as time goes on. But today okay. we're talking about Green Divas at home, and I think we're talking about fumigation or something really sexy like that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, it, this is actually a really funny thing to talk about on the phone because, um, you know, fumigation is not something that anybody really ever wants to talk about. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, I did a post on, you know, the four steps to take before you fumigate your home. Um, I did it. I published it on my Huffington Post column, and then I published it at Mommy Greenest. And that post on Huffington Post is like, one of the main ways that people find Mommy Greenest now. Isn't it's really it funny, incredible. the ones that stick, yeah. right? Yeah, so I do think that this is a subject that people are concerned about. Now, whether or not they're going to be interested in listening to us blab about it, I don't know. Oh, sure <laughs> they will. They love us. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, so so now, let's just go and, uh, and answer the question, like, what would you be fumigating for? Maybe fleas and all these kind of pests that we don't want to talk about. 
Yeah, so the, so the fumigation um, information that I share is really about professional fumigation. Right. So, you know, often um, before you, like if you buy a house, before you take possession of a house, before you move into a rental, sometimes in the middle of your rental contract um, and sometimes when you're already living in a house, you are either are encouraged to or sometimes in some people's cases if they're mandated, you know, renting, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. they're forced to. Um, fumigate and the thing about fumigation is it's kind of a it's kind of a it's kind of in process right now so there's a lot of chemicals that used to be used in in fumigation that caused neurological damage and they were phased out you know roughly beginning in 2010 Um, and that's really good news but the the chemicals that are still used in um in the fumigation process, you know, a lot of them have pretty high and, frankly, frightening um, rankings through the EPA or right. the Agency for Toxic Substances. Um, you know, one of them, formaldehyde, probably familiar to most people yeah. listening, um, right. considered a probable human carcinogen by the EPA. Um, you know, different different chemicals that are involved, and I detail all of these on Mommy Greenest and also on the Huffington Post column, um, and we'll, by the way, we'll, we'll have a post on the Green Divas too. Yes. So yeah, I'm gonna yeah, absolutely. Yay. So I'll share all those with you guys. Um, but you know, those chemicals are really sort of questionable, and in the way that maybe the ones that were phased out in 2010 were considered questionable before that. So I think the long and the short of it is, you know, you're not going to get around toxic chemicals in the fumigation process. That's really what the fumigation process involves. Right. Um, right. So what to, you know, try to do is, um, you know, to, to look for companies that are, you know, sometimes they'll advertise themselves as eco-fumigators. You know, they, they often are still using the same chemicals. So really ask them what they're using and, um, you know, make sure that you are clear on what all of those chemicals mean. Um, right. And then ask them for a written description of what they're using. Um, and then, you know, they tell you to ventilate your home for, you know, I think like one to two days after fumigation. I suggest and I would would encourage people to add several more days onto yeah. that. You know, leave yeah. your windows open and let your home really air out, especially if you're pregnant or if you have small children. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. really important. Wow. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. And just all the talk of fumigation, you know, it's just making me want to cough. Makes you cough. <laughs> Seriously, it's crazy. But, you know, when you're talking about getting rid of pests in your home, um, there are a lot of really easy um, and, and far more natural alternatives than using something with a, you know, skull and crossbones on yeah, it. Yeah, right, and doing your whole house. Sometimes you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. So um, some of the, the tips that I've shared with, with people are, like one of my favorites, we get a lot. I don't know if you guys do over there in New Jersey, but in California, we get a lot of little fruit flies, especially yeah. when it warms up. They yep. just, oh God, they're everywhere. Yep. I feel like the first sun comes out, and then we've just got fruit flies all over the house. So <laughs> a great tip for that is you take, I use like a little glass. It's almost the size of a shot glass, and I literally put it in my fruit bowl. Like I put it at the bottom of my fruit bowl, and I put the fruit around it so you can't really see it and in that glass you put like basically one half so for me the glass is so small it's like a squirt of 
dishwashing liquid, just the kind that you use to wash your dishes by hand. Cool. And then one half white wine. And for some reason, that mixture really attracts those little fruit flies. They love the way it smells. They, I, I think they get drunk and drown happily. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, we'd like to think that, right? They went happy. <laughs> But that's a great way, you know, totally safe. It's not, there's nothing spraying into your air. There's nothing your kids are inhaling. Um, and that really works. I've been doing that for years. Oh, I'm um, going to try that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one to try for well, sure. Well, so I'm going to encourage folks to go to thegreendivas.com because by the time this airs, we will have a post and you will have shared all this great stuff with us. Yeah. And also... Just for fun, you must go visit mommygreenest.com and uh, check out Rachel and, and, and what's going on over there. And we look forward to talking to you again soon, Rachel. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Find out more about this Green Divas at Home segment and lots of other great low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. No one ever said you had to give up style to be a green diva or dude. Check out this Green Diva's Eco Style segment for all the latest trends in sustainable, ethical, gorgeous eco style. Excellent. Um, we're very fortunate to be talking today to um, Marcy Zaroff, who is, gosh, she's got so many fashionable hats on. She's an eco-fashion pioneer, the founder of Under the Canopy, and president of Portico Brands. Hi, Marcy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. And, um, you know, there's so many things to talk about. And one of the things I think what we're going to focus on today is some of the trends in the industry and how, you know, the industry has kind of been in fits and starts over the last few years. But what you're seeing from from what we talked about is that it's like a tipping point year. Things are really starting to to blossom in this industry. So talk to us about that. Sure. Well, you know, this has been a uh, an exciting and long journey of uh, – yeah. of eco-fashion. I mean, the journey of a thousand miles, right, begins with one step. <laughs> right. but, uh, but this year, what we're seeing is uh, that there are uh, an escalating number of, of collaborations that, you know, of course, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So as these dots begin to connect, the voice of the movement is getting louder and stronger. Mm. And so some of those uh, some of those efforts include, you know, nonprofits and NGOs that have really up the ante on their efforts and um, catalyzed, you know, the fashion world um, globally. So we have the Textile Exchange, the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, the Ethical Fashion Forum, um, and you've got standards that are uh, taking root now, and people are starting to pay attention to those certifications. Uh, to make sure the authenticity and the transparency are in place. So the GOT standard is picking up steam. Um, you've got the fair trade. Wait, textile. let's go back. Let's go back. Talk about that, that standard because some people might not know what sure. that is. So the Global Organic Textile Standard, of which I was on the team that, that actually helped develop the standard um, in the 90s, uh, was a collaboration 
between the U.S. and the Organic Trade Association, which is uh, the team I was on, married with uh, three other countries and their standards, Germany, Japan, and England. Nice. And um, we created a global organic textile standard that if people are familiar with the organic food standard and yeah. this, the logo that goes on organic food, this would be the textile counterpart to that standard. So in essence now, uh, from farm to finished product, the Global Organic Textile Standard, uh, otherwise known as the GOT standard, okay. is the platinum standard for an organic, certified organic textile. Oh, that's cool. So if we're looking at organic textiles, um, we should be looking for this label. Exactly. All right. Exactly. And there's also now a fair trade textile standard, a fair oh. trade certification standard, which if you know the fair trade standard you see on coffee and chocolate and tea and bananas, yep. We now are able to use that certification on textiles, and so there are a number of factories worldwide going through that certification process. And uh, under the Canopy, my brand uh, here in the U.S., we have introduced the first fair trade certified robe, uh, throw, and T-shirts into the market, and um, we'll be selling them nationwide uh, this year as well. That's exciting. So part of you know how this all comes about is demand, right? People are becoming more and more aware of, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why fair trade and uh, organic are so important, not only for, um, I think, that the, the environmental factors with organic and pesticides, but, you know, I learned a few years ago about, you know, how horrible the conditions are for cotton growing, per, for instance, in India. And, and what, what people, you know, what farmers endure. Um, so so there's, there's a lot of reasons why creating fair trade standards and, and, and more demand for organic textiles is healthy for, for humans as well as the planet. And so as we become more aware now, people are obviously starting to demand these things. And obviously the prices are becoming a little bit more... Um, you know, it's just so hard to compete. Sometimes people complain, well, but that T-shirt is $10 more than the other T-shirt at Walmart. So, um, yeah, so obviously, are the prices becoming a little bit more uh, easier for folks? Yeah, well, our mantra has always been to break all of those stigmas, break the stigma that you have to give up style or quality or right. fit or color or comfort, break the stigma that you have to pay a lot more, and the way to overcome that stigma is, to understand the supply chain and how to navigate it efficiently. And so having spent the last uh, almost 20 years in this industry, you know, our, you know, our motto is uh, start at the farm gate and build relationships with, you know, the very source of our products. Um, it's the DNA of who we are, like water for chocolate. And yeah. so yeah. by doing so, we cut out a lot of the middlemen that are typical in a supply chain for an, a garment or a textile product. You can, some, you know, you can see in some products uh, that, you know, a, a typical shirt might change hands seven to ten times in its supply chain from the raw material through to the finished product. But if you're efficient and you're vertically integrated, then you can pass a value add to the consumer. And so it's not about why would you buy organic, it's why wouldn't you buy organic if you have great style and great price, and then the organic becomes, you know, that value add, then, uh, then it's a this and that, not a this or that. I love it. I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing and that obviously you're collaborating with other folks and other organizations to help make this a new standard for right. So you're not, you know, you, I would be now more inclined to think, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't need a shirt that isn't organic. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and as you mentioned, you know, with cotton before, I mean, cotton is one of the leading causes of air and water pollution, yeah. and most consumers don't know that. They think right. that cotton is a natural fiber and good for them and good for the planet because it grows in nature. Unfortunately, in yeah. today's world, not including even genetic modification, which is a whole issue in and of itself, right, right. you have um, cotton is one of the most heavily sprayed industries in agriculture, and that doesn't even include the the dyes and the finishes, which are written with you know, pest, ridden with um, acetones and chlorine bleaches and heavy metals and formaldehyde. So a typical cotton garment yeah. is, uh, you know, has a magnitude and multitude of, of carcinogenic chemicals in it. And so it's hardly, when you pull the curtain back on it, it's hardly natural, right? And that's why when you look at organic cotton, certified organic cotton, it is free of all of those um, harsh chemicals. And when you look at a GOT certified textile, it's uh, also free of, you know, any kind of toxic dyes and finishes. We use only low-impact dyes, nice. which um, have no formaldehyde or, or heavy metals or chlorine bleaches, um, and there's less than a 5% runoff in the environment versus about a 60% runoff with conventional dyes. So, you know, it, being conscious of the environment and human health uh, and farmer work and worker welfare yes. and future generations yes. means looking at all of the pillars and impacts from water to waste to uh, energy use as well as chemical use. And, and that's why we're seeing a tipping point in this industry now because the level of engagement, yeah. um, which has been uh, ignited worldwide, um, is very, very exciting. And Fashion Revolution Day, which was celebrated on April 24th of this year, is the first time that our global community has come together to catalyze consumers around, you know, shifting the paradigm of the fashion industry. And we're all coming together with a common voice to say, you know, business as usual is no longer acceptable. We need to revolutionize the fashion industry. And so on April 24th of this year, 58 countries around the world came together to celebrate Fashion Revolution Day. It was actually um, on that day... It, the number one global trend on Twitter was Fashion Revolution. Oh, that is so exciting. I just, I'm just thrilled because for me, I've been trying to buy clothes that are more, you know, obviously eco-friendly, sustainably made for many years. And because I put value with that, which I think people are doing more and more, you know, not just on the price tag, but on my health and the health of the environment and the people who make the the clothing I have, you know, uh, uh, you know, add, I, I, and I think we have to do that with so many, so many things. Whether it's food, uh, cars, even start to think about, you know, the value of of our health and the environment and all of these other factors. That uh, even if you have to pay a couple of extra dollars, which you don't always have to do, but even if you do, um, I think it's worthwhile. And now it's thrilling that that. The industry is really coming together. So um, I'm, for one, very excited. Well, you know what? Green Diva doesn't love eco fashion, right? That's right. And, you know, you brought up the question of, you know, who made your clothes? And that was actually the tagline of Fashion Revolution Day this year because it was to honor the 1,133 victims of the Rana Plaza uh, tragedy in Bangladesh yeah, last year. Yeah. And so we need to ask that question. Who made your clothes? What's your, what are your clothes made of? Where yeah. are they coming from? Yeah. You know, our clothing, as much as Americans especially, you know, think their clothing grows in their department store or fast fashion <laughs> retailer, yeah. right. people's lives are being affected around the world. Yeah. And so we need to look at, you know, how do we bring more manufacturing back to the U.S.? How do we look at, you know, the people that are across the world that are, 
you know, what kind of working conditions uh, are they creating our garments in, and uh, what are the, the raw materials that are going into our products? You know, are we using, you know, materials that are sustainable, or are we using materials that are destroying and depleting our environment and yeah. human health? And yeah. so this is uh, an exciting new frontier in the world of sustainability and, and uh, ethical manufacturing, as well as in the organic industry. This is definitely a lot of, a lot of eyes and a lot of uh, brands. Uh, looking right now at this movement, and uh, I think, relatively speaking, we're at our infancy, but we, uh, we're we experiencing a very exciting breakthrough right now, and, and so I think uh, it's no longer about staying ahead. It's about not being left behind, and eco-fashion is the future of fashion. Yay! Well, Marcy, <laughs> thank you so much for calling us, and I'm sure we're going to talk to you again where there's lots of stuff to talk about when it comes to eco-fashion, and uh, Evergreen Diva needs to know all this stuff. So we'll keep talking, and you keep doing what you're doing. We're thrilled, and people can check out um, Under the Canopy, which is beautiful. I I, th- I believe I have some Under the Canopy T-shirts. Is that do you, you guys make T-shirts, right? Yep. Oh, you yeah, make a lot of things. A- we have uh, bedding at bedbathandbeyond.com and in stores. We have uh, apparel. We have home textile, uh, spa and hotel textiles, and coming soon, even personal care. So we're a, we're a lifestyle brand that uh, is all about no compromise. Very exciting. All right, yeah. Marcy, thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Want to have sexy Green Diva style too? And learn more about low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green? Visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. The Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. So excited to talk to Jonathan Bloom today, who is the author of American Wasteland and um, the publisher of Wasted Food. And that is a topic that I really am looking forward to talking about. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you made, made the time. And I've seen your site before, and I apologize that I haven't read the book yet. Um, but I love the concept. We obviously in this country waste an awful lot of things, but food in particular. And uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you hit the nail right in the head there. Uh, we're certainly doing a bang-up job of wasting food in America, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, the best estimates we have are, are that 40% of all the food created and distributed here isn't, in fact, consumed. And that amounts to about a quarter of, of the food in our households. See, wow. So about 25% of what we bring into our homes we don't end up serving or using. That's insane. That's Very absolutely insane. insane. And, and one of the yeah. questions that pops to mind immediately is, like, where, at what points in the distribution from grower to our own trash cans... Um, yeah, no, it's a great question, and the short answer is waste is happening all throughout that food yeah. chain. Yeah. Uh, we don't have fabulous data on exactly where it's happening. Uh, we can't pinpoint to the, the ton, but the best estimates are that 
the most waste happens on the farm level and then at the household level. Uh, now, with farms, it's it's a little bit of a happier story because most of that unused food gets plowed under, and it'll go to to help nourish the soil. Right. But uh, certainly, we grow food to feed people, and that's food that could be better used doing that. Uh, but then on the household level, uh, that's that's something that often surprises people. That's what we're really so, talking about, yeah. Yeah, and and it's neat because we have a role here. Uh, we certainly have agency as individuals in trying to rectify the solution and reduce waste. Well, and and what do you recommend? Well, here's another wait before we go to like recommendations. What are the most surprising things or people are often surprised they don't even realize they're doing it? Because I'm sure I'm guilty. I know I throw away more than I want to, and it kills me now when mm-hmm. I do it. But yeah. Is it that people are letting things spoil and, and therefore it's unusable, or where, where are we seeing it yeah. most show up? I mean, at the there moment? are so many causes of food waste, and the main three that, that I'll pinpoint are abundance, beauty, and cost. Uh-huh. ABCs of food waste, which is a handy little device to remember it. But um, but abundance being that we just have so much food in this country, both on a macro level, we're producing about twice the amount of calories that we need per right. person. Wow. Um, but then closer to home, you know, on the, that micro level, we're just buying too much food. We're bringing too much food into our homes so that we couldn't possibly use all of that fresh food before it goes bad. Yeah. So it's poor planning. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The old poor eyes planning. bigger than your stomach. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. It can be hard to plan. Major problem, Definitely. yeah, especially at restaurants. Um, but but then with the notion of beauty, we expect our food to look perfect. Right. And anything that, mm. that has a slight blemish or, God forbid, the, the wrong shape, size, or color, then, then those food items usually get tossed somewhere along the line. Um, and, and then with cost, uh, you know, people think of, of food prices rising and, and that being uh, a, a separate issue. But here, when you look at the percentage of household spending that goes towards food, it's less than 10%, and it's, it's less than any other nation spends on its food. Uh, Hmm. We don't tend to value things we don't spend much on. And when you look at the real cost of of food, it's still pretty cheap. So we think of it as very disposable. Like, eh, okay, I can get another bag of apples. Let it go. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's part of the uh, abundance notion. Uh, You know, we see food everywhere because, frankly, we just have so much of it. And, you know, we're encountering food at various places that, that we didn't used to. It's at retailers, uh, it's at pharmacies, yeah. gas stations. It's sort of ubiquitous. And, and so I, I believe that creates this notion that that we don't have to be careful with our food because it's just right anywhere you'd want it to be. You can always get more. And then the beauty thing, is that and that's sort of like a Madison Avenue, again, you know, like how... Women are supposed to look a certain way, and it's really created a nightmare for young girls or whatever in this self-image. Yeah, it's the yeah. same thing with fruits and vegetables. They have, they've been stylized in photographs, and if my carrot doesn't look like that, if it's bent up or has legs, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Completely, yeah. And, and to blend those two topics together, I like to say that real food has curves. 
Aww. And, <laughs> I like uh, that. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's true. Or, or maybe it's straight. Uh, you know, there's some <laughs> things that, uh, some food products that, that there's no room for uh, a straight version of. Right, um, right. Or, or say like the carrot that's curved or cucumber that has curves. Uh, you know, people tend to just want the opposite of, right. of that. Uh, whereas like the straight... Uh, Straight banana doesn't tend to find a, a home too often. And like, who makes <laughs> up these? Who's making up these standards that you yeah, know that yeah. that it's like not cool to be a curly cucumber? Well, it's funny. <laughs> the, the retailers will, uh, yeah, a curly cucumber. I, I love the curly cucumber. <laughs> I actually have a collection on my website on wastedfood.com of, uh, of curves or, or letter shaped <laughs> often they're cucumbers. I love that. I, I even got one that looked like a Q once. So really? Like, wow. That's a um, twisted but cucumber. But anyhow, <laughs> yeah, it's quite a cucumber. Um, Spelled with a Q. Yeah, so, cucumber. Uh-huh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we are yeah. just full of it today, man. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, w- where does that notion come from that food has to be perfect? I mean, I think partly as a reflection of just having such an abundance that we can be choosy. We can afford to be choosy. Right. But um, you ask retailers, supermarket managers, you know, they will say that the shoppers are the ones who dictate that, that kind of behavior. Or it's demand. Uh, yeah. you know, shoppers won't buy those uh, odd-shaped produce or, or whatever it may be. Um, but then you, know, you ask <laughs> shoppers and they say they completely would, would be happy to buy that that oddity or that ugly fruit uh, were it to exist, but the stores don't stock it. So, it, so it is a matter a of education? Tricky. It's a bit squishy. Squishy. <laughs> Sounds like a niche yeah. market opportunity, ugly food. Ugly food. Well, and what so, happens yeah. to all the ugly food? Who gets well, the ugly food then? Uh, well, it really varies. Uh, some growers will have arrangements for their seconds. Uh, for the the ones that don't look quite right, it really varies by crops. So apple growers usually have contracts for for the the ugly apples to make cider. Right. Make jam. Right. Uh, there's there's just a range of of secondary or tertiary products, but there's so often not a home for those oddities. That's and, very sad. And, yeah. Now that. That infrastructure seems to be growing. We're seeing the investment in food hubs around the country and hopefully you know, providing facilities for farmers and food entrepreneurs to create value-added items from, I guess, what has been commonly looked at as yeah. expendable. So. Like someone who you know, makes relish or pickles that, that exactly. is willing to you know, slice up stuff that maybe doesn't look so good on a shelf for all those picky, right. gosh darn people. But, um, but, you know, we can slice it up and eat it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, you know. sure, you know that, and, and I know that, but I think a lot of people don't have that food knowledge. They may not have the, those traditional food ways passed down yeah. from generation to generation anymore, uh, or they might just be too busy. Yeah. We are, uh, for the most part, pretty yeah. pretty busy these days. So, so, so what do you recommend as remedies for this kind of broken system here? Um, well... There's a number of solutions, but uh, sticking closer to home, the number one recommendation I have is to just be a smarter shopper, yeah. to to think about how much food you actually need and, and how much food you're getting rid of every month 
Um, and and that's something that's that's hard to do um, because, as you alluded to before, our food waste tends to just disappear. It, it doesn't stick around like that stack of newspapers. It's usually down the drain or out with the trash or uh, hopefully out with the compost. But, <laughs> right, um, right. But, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to really track that. So even keeping a, a food waste diary or just weighing your food scraps, I mean, that if you were – to translate that into dollar value, like a rough estimate of, of a dollar per pound, I mean, that's that's something that would certainly lead to more incentive to, to reduce that really waste. It's really an interesting thought, and I think I might consider trying that. Yeah, journaling really yeah. helps. You need the data in front of you to be able to assess. Well, I mean, being it's a- willing to be honest about it, you know what I mean, and honest with yourself, and then right. maybe even accountable to somebody else, like, hey, man. Well, and it's a challenge that. because we're telling people, you know, buy in bulk and minimize packaging, but not at, right. obviously at the expense of creating additional waste. So maybe at least for yeah. fresh produce and things that's spoiled, you need to shop more often and in more right-sized quantities for what you'll be able to use during its prime prime existence. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there's no one-size-fits-all solution. I mean, it may make sense for you to shop more often and and when you do that, you're probably going to to play it closer to the vest and not stock your fridge with, with all that fresh food that you don't really have a purpose for. Yeah, uh, see, I'm you're, guilty. You're probably shopping for dinner, right? I'm guilty because I, I, I don't own a car right now. My main supermarket is not within walking distance. So once a week, I pretty much once a week I go and I have to buy. Lynn sell my refrigerator. It's like packed because mm-hmm. it's early in the week with all kinds of fresh – because we like to juice. We do smoothies and – you know, and you have to remember what you yeah. got because it could be something at the bottom of the drawer that. Right. Like, oh, oh yeah, I had this, I had yeah. celery back down yeah. in there. Yeah, and it's like nasty, <laughs> and you're like, okay, how do I deal with that? Yeah. Um, so, well, so you're the, you sound like the perfect alternative. The the other idea is, you know, if you can't shop that often, then if you're and if you're going to have to do that weekly shopping trip, it's really important to plan, plan. your meals. Yeah. And, right. And make that detailed shopping list. Yep, and then here's the the tricky part: actually sticking to that list in the store. That oh uh, my god, avoiding those impulse buys. See, because I'm I'm really big on like oh yeah I like it's not the impulse buys that I'm planning all these meals like I'm going to spend hours in the kitchen and then maybe you get too tired and then I get like sidetracked or I get busy and then I'm like I don't have time to make that chili oh Mm -hmm. my gosh or whatever it is and then the specific things I bought for that might not get put into the next meal and then that sometimes is what happens I'm not as committed to my. But you've got the juicer to fall back on. But I got the – yeah, so so. I do what I – I love the juicer. I often do is I get creative and I would throw this out there to people that I'm very good at getting creative. Like, okay, I've got like, you know, oranges and onions or whatever and figuring out – That sounds like a delicious combination. Mm, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like orange onion smoothie. Kale, Mm. kale, orange, I don't know what – I'm just like making stuff up now. But you know what I mean? Like getting creative Mm -hmm. with whatever I have and believe it or not, you know – I've come up with some pretty interesting things based on the need yeah, to throw it together use in a soup. That pepper. Soups are a great way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Soups yeah. and stews. No, it's, it's good to have some uh, use it up meals, the, the kind of kitchen sink recipes yeah. Yeah. that can accommodate anything, uh, you know, whether it's fried rice, it's sort of the traditional version of that, or an omelet or paella, mm. uh, even uh, frittatas. There's, there's so many dishes that can just incorporate all those odds and ends from your fridge. Like Sounds it. like but, a great uh, idea for a new cookbook. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lots and ends. Yeah. To some people, Don't waste it's just the taste. common sense, but yeah, there's there's definitely room for for putting that into some usable format. Well, that's it, Jonathan. You, we have our we have a book we can do together now. Let's do All it. All right, sounds good. And yeah. I would expect your website has resources for people. Our listeners can go to your website. Yep, yep. There's uh, different categories, and, and there's one of them is household, and so there's there's plenty of ideas in there. And that's and waste. Wastedfood.com. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. I was just going to yeah, tell everybody so that's that it's... Wastedfood.com. Terrific. Yay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time and for doing what you're doing to help highlight all these things because, you know, here I am like a pretty conscientious green diva, but I'm like cringing because I know that I'm very guilty of this and, and I got to like mm-hmm. pay attention and be accountable, man. Same here. Well, hey, you're in great, you're in great company because... Most Americans are uh, are doing their share of wasting as well. Well, I so, suppose yeah, if we really just—it's all about just thinking about what we are buying and then the corresponding numbers on what we're actually using. Yeah, and, you know, people will come to their own conclusions if, if they are aware. Yeah, of, that's the key—the the, the whole awareness. If you can be aware, that's the first step, and then you take it from there, one step at a time. Well, and if we, you know, I'm committed to, tr- we can work on. to trying to work on this and then, you know, mm-hmm. talking about it more and helping highlight, you know, how we can all do a little better. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing your waste audits from your, <laughs> your household <laughs> being used. Oh, it's going to take a photo of the waste and put yeah. it on Instagram. Yeah, there you go. I guess we'll be talking again soon, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to need your help. Definitely. Sounds great. Uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed that as much as they did. Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcast on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. 